I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's Wednesday night, which means it's time for TF3. And there are three of us here. And there are three people who make up uh, TF3 in that sense. Uh, Dave, welcome back. You're on a bus. Yeah, just on the bus home. So apologies for any beeping, uh, dinking, or any noises about that. Sort of brings a bit of texture to the podcast, which I like. Um, And Chris, you are not on a bus. I'm not. I'm stationary. Stationary. You parked the bus in many ways. I like that, yeah. Yeah. Um... I don't know why you like it. You're not on a bus and you've not parked it. Uh, it's completely irrelevant, in fact, to your situation. Uh, but let's get straight down to it, guys. Uh, tonight in the EFL Cup, uh, which is where we're going to start. Let's start with Newcastle, Chris, because they went through against Birmingham. Uh, no, wait, is this the EFL Cup? Or, sorry, FA Cup. Uh, sorry, it's FA the FA Cup. Cup. Um, the EFL FA Cup. Uh, Chris, uh, Newcastle went through against Birmingham for the first time in, was it seven years? Five, I believe five. it's exactly five years and six days. Don't even know the tournament, mate, so it doesn't matter. The last game, I looked this up, the last game they won in this competition was a 2-1 home win against Blackburn and Jonas Gutierrez uh, scored the win. It was, a, it was a wonderful goal as well. In fact, both goals that day, if I remember right, were beautiful goals. A lot has changed since then. Obviously, the team have gone, I'm assuming, up and down since then. And then up and down. And sorry, uh, back down. No, just down. That was so. That was the season, like a season or two after promotion. Okay, interesting. Wow, uh, you guys really have been on a journey over the last few years. But you find yourselves three-one and through against Birmingham. Uh, Shelby inspired this one. He's massive. He's the. You talk about the heartbeat of the midfield. That's John Joe Shelby. It's not just his passing; it's his ability to control the game as well I've, it's something I think I've only really come to appreciate since watching him in person is midfielders with <clears throat> with real quality can put the ball anywhere they want in the field I think there's an underrated skill in being able to know when to hold on to the ball and when to start to move the tempo up a little bit and it's really not an easy skill it's it's very much a, a judgment call based on the player and and understanding how a lot of little passes can build to something much bigger. So, yes, whether he can do that in the Premiership is a massive question mark because the truth is, consistently, he hasn't done that in his career thus far. Um, I think the thing you have to remember with him, though, is that he arrived on the scene very young. Uh, he joined Liverpool at a very young age. Again, was was seen as a precocious talent. And even now, I think he's 24. Yep. So he's... You would argue that he he isn't near completion in terms of his potential, and I think that's something that we forget is is that you know players mature at different times. With that said, tonight I think he reinforced why he's so central to that team. Without him, the the backup options. Um, I feel bad saying Isaac Hayden because he's more defensively minded, but the likes of Colback Tiote, who looks like he's off anyway, they're just light years away from what he can do. Um, and and I, I really don't think that's a, an overestimation. The, the difference in quality, decision-making, even just application of, of 
where he wants to put the ball. Callback and Coke just can't really match it. Do you ever think about that, Chris? I mean, how reliant Rafa Benitez's systems tend to be on those two central defensive midfielders, very often one more prominent than the other. Yes, I think I think it's a little bit of a concern um, because you would argue that it's very difficult for a squad to facilitate two players of Shelby's quality and importance and keep both of them happy because realistically the, the selling point for Shelby of being at a club like Newcastle or being in this position is everything's built around you. So you are the centrepiece that gives you confidence for someone like him who needs that. It's it's integral. It's very difficult to bring in another midfielder, let's say a Lawrence McKenna, and say, okay, you two are going to have this same role, but I promise you're going to have the same importance. It's, a, it's an impossible situation to manage. Mm. I mean, that's why he was very lucky in, in that sense with... Liverpool with uh, Xabi Alonso and Javier Mascherano and then essentially he slightly changed it up with like the, the Casemiro and maybe I mean I think he struggled at times to find a, um, an apt uh, partner for him but maybe a Cruz or a, a Modric at Real Madrid and uh, very often at Napoli he was let down by that lack of a, a structure Exactly I think that's a fantastic point and <clears throat> I know uh, Newcastle haven't achieved promotion at this point but if you talk to a lot of supporters they are kind of casting their eye forward in case they do make that that leap and saying, well, well, what happens with this team? Because I think if there's one thing you can draw from this season, it's that they're going to need a significant overhaul to to be Premier League quality. Mm. There's pieces in there that I think can cope. Matt Ritchie, Shelby, Gale to an extent, maybe even Hayden if, if you know he takes to the league properly. A lot of them, though, it, it's going to need... <laughs> You would argue a similar summer to the one that um, that just went, where they brought a lot of players uh, in because they were able to to sell a lot. But I don't think there's going to be that same intake. It's going to be a lot of outgoings in terms of, of spending money. So that's definitely the the question that's that's sort of circulating now is if if they go up, when they go up, whichever you think is more likely. How does that Shelby situation play out? Does it stay the same, or does Benitez tried to, to maybe move away from it and, and pick something a little bit more reliable because when they were in the relegation scrap under him last season, he didn't seem that taken with Shelby, to be honest. He, he benched him for a few games. Mm, good point. Um, what about that, Chris? I mean, uh, they've beaten Birmingham tonight. Oof. It's really tough for Birmingham. I have tremendous sympathy for them and their supporters because you have someone in Gary Rowett who... I get mixed reports in terms of the quality of football he was playing. I haven't seen enough of them where I feel comfortable putting my own name to an opinion. But he was certainly doing a good job, at least the, the league table suggested that. And he wasn't blessed with huge budgets or or any kind of financial power. And then he's taken out and Zola's put in. And, you know, it's funny, a similar thing happened with Zola at Watford, where I want to say it was Sean Dyche that was pulled out and, and Zola was put in. And there was uproar at first. And then over time, you kind of saw why, because <clears throat> they wanted to bring a continental squad in and it made more sense. I don't see that same uh, turn of events occurring at, at Birmingham City. It looks still to me like a club that is trying to play things quite clever, buying people like Shea Adams who are in League One and have come from non-league and maybe don't have the highest price tags, but still have potential. Sort mm. of polishing gems, if you will. Yeah. Good point. And, uh, and I think that's the difficulty for them is that is Zola the man for that? He's not someone I can think of that, that has done that much in his managerial career. No, I mean, maybe he is that uh, inspirational figure in that sense. And I, you know, I think he, he certainly is considered to be one of those that is on a, a good track. But maybe, maybe sometimes you feel like it's the right combination at the wrong time. I'm playing the right notes, not necessarily in the right order. Um, which it felt very similar to in Liverpool's FA Cup replay tonight. Uh, they lined up with yet another young side, including Ajaria, uh, including Trent, Alexander-Arnold, and of course including uh, Stewart at the base of midfield. Um, Moreno and Coutinho on one side, on the left, and then on the other side, a combination of Woodburn and, uh, of course, Trent uh, overlapping. It only ended 1-0 to Liverpool, and uh, this Liverpool side struggled to break down Plymouth in the end. Um I mean, Chris, you watched the entirety of this one. Um, Liverpool obviously went through on a rare thing in the first place, which is a, a Lucas goal. Last time he scored was seven years ago. Um, but the, essentially, it sort of boils down to exactly the same as the previous fixture. 
Um, Plymouth tried mm. to break <clears throat> Liverpool and did very well. They hit the outside the woodwork and arguably created the better of the chances in the game. Um, and also to get the best out of their uh, set pieces. But Liverpool beat them on a set piece and then tried to control the possession in the same way they did in the previous leg. Yeah, I, I must <clears throat> admit to digress slightly. I thought Lucas's post-match interview was very funny. Um, Why? Because I think it was Danny Kelly. Is that the, the guy, the BT Sport guy? Probably, yeah. Um, he informed Lucas that he hadn't scored in seven years, and Lucas replied, I scored in training last week, which... Um, <laughs> very I, good. <laughs> I thought, I thought you know what, we're kindred spirits there, because I definitely would count training goals as well. It's also that um, Jürgen Klopp's words, essentially, coming out of Lucas's mouth, it sounds. Do you know what I mean? <clears throat> yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think what you can say is Klopp's made a real commitment to playing youth in this tournament and seeing it as a as a potential pathway for the players that are on the fringes of the squad to, to push themselves forward. I think that's very admirable. From a Plymouth perspective, I see the, the fear of being embarrassed in these kind of fixtures. I also think they could have been more aggressive. I think when they really push Liverpool... In the few instances where they really got at them, you could see just little wobbles because, of course, these aren't vastly experienced players. Mm. I, I think <clears throat> in that respect, Plymouth might look at this tomorrow when, when everything's calmed down and say, you know, we had a better chance there than I think we gave ourselves. Um, but I think from, from Klopp's perspective, it was a good chance to see how many of the technical players that he has because I think you look at Woodburn and a lot of the, the midfield lads, they're all very good on the ball. But how do you apply that when you've got someone who is a fairly grizzled veteran of the Football League coming at you, being very aggressive, that kind of thing? It's a lot of variables that just aren't present in under-23 football in the Development League. So I think you'll have seen a potential in Woodburn that, say, next season when they, they get European football, which I, I think they will, that's a moment where he can be, be brought in. Because assuming it's not Champions League <clears throat> and it's Europa League, yeah, that's not the highest on Liverpool's priority list and that's a conversation we can have another time. Mm. There will be moments, though, where you have to trust Woodburn, period, and players of his ilk, like they did against Manchester United at the weekend. And I think the more you know about the player, the easier it is to trust them and the easier it is to choose the words that you say to them before they go out yeah. and the easier to gauge them as people. Uh, um, they definitely saw more of that tonight. I mean, apparently Trent Alexander-Arnold is one of those people that Klopp is seeming to trust right now, uh, starting him on the weekend against Manchester United and, of course, starting him again against Plymouth. Um, Dave, let's flick back to last night. If you've got, have you gotten off the bus yet, Dave? Oh. I mean, you're making noise. That's just a noise. Uh, you off the bus? <coughs> oh, no, there he goes. Dave O'Brien there. <laughs> He's literally just made noise and hung up. Uh, I was speaking to Dave earlier, actually, and Dave was saying uh, how much he appreciated Sam Allardyce and how much he wanted to celebrate uh, Allardyce and Pulis and their contribution to English football, how he feels they're under-celebrated. Chris, can you um, echo that or not? I'm going to struggle to, I'll be very honest. Yes, I thought that would be a tricky subject for you. Uh, but he, he did get a win uh, with Christian Benteke getting two of the goals. Uh the two goals in a 2-1 win uh, where they went 1-0 down to Bolton in the FA Cup. Um, they did. It was. It obviously meant a lot to, to Allardyce because of past associations. Um, there was still a struggle for Crystal Palace. It, it was not a 2-0 and then consolation goal situation. Um, and I think you can, can read a lot into that in, in not just in terms of the final score, but in what order the goals were, how they, the match actually unfolded. I think the the thing is, a, a lot of people, and, and I was having this debate with someone last night on Twitter, the idea that uh, Allardyce is, is a fraud, which is the, the word that has been replaced for banter in the football lexicon. Um, I, I don't think he is, personally. I think he has a skill set that is very easy to define, and some would argue very easy to replicate. Um, the important thing is it takes time. And I think if you look at Sunderland as a case study, his first sort of nine, ten games were not very good. In fact, I remember Newcastle fans kind of consoling themselves at the end of last season, saying that if Sunderland had been placed in that same position and Allardyce had taken his first ten results in the ten games that they got, this is all very convoluted, they would have gone down and Newcastle would have stayed up. Um, I think, honestly, Palace in general are a, 
a little bit of a mismatched squad for me. <clears throat> I look at some of the players in there, you know, there's talk about them selling Kabai. I still think Kabai's got a part to play. I- I'm very surprised that they want to just give up on him because to me, he is, we talked about midfielders that can dictate. He is very much in that mould. I'd say he's better than Shelby by a distance at this point in his career. And he was easily one of the best midfielders I'd ever watched on his day when he was motivated. So maybe that's the issue, is a lack of motivation. I think, honestly, there's no worry for me that Palace are going to go down at this point, purely because they have the kind of defenders that Allardyce likes to work with. And they've got those little sprinkles of something in the final third, like Zaha. Townsend, admittedly, has been pretty useless. But I think in a little bit more of a disciplined system that transitions quickly... He'll find his way eventually. But even still, Ponchin can come in there and replace him. There, there's options for them. Um, he did do a lot of business last January, uh, Allardyce, and, and that was instrumental, I think, in keeping Sunderland up. i curious to see what, if anything, he does this January because there is talk that Kabai is going to go to Marseille, so that should free up some money for him. Mm, very good point. Uh, a lot of people want to go to Marseille, Chris. Pyatt. Just Pyatt, I think, isn't it? No one else? What, Pyatt and Kabai? That's two. That's um, a lot. That's, I mean, that's a 200% rise. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. It's a funny one with Marseille. So I watched them at the weekend against Monaco. And they had only considered one goal at home prior to that game. And they got absolutely stuffed by what is... A fantastic Monaco side, by the way. If you're in France and you know get the chance to watch them, do it. Hundred percent, do it because I can guarantee you'll see entertainment one way or the other. The thing with with Marseille and, and them trying to buy players, though, it's essentially been a cash injection, I think, by the new ownership, and they're clearly trying to make some kind of statement. The bizarre thing is, I'm not sure if they need someone like Pai because they've got and that might sound harsh but they've got uh, they've got Cabela they've they've got Tovan on loan so you know you would argue I think it's a 24 year old or a 29 year old that makes the better sense to buy the younger guy in especially because Pai is going to cost an obscene amount of money um, in wages I suppose so there's talk you would want 100 a week Um, you're not getting that in Marseille are you yeah, and it's it's a lot by French league standards. I really only think PSG can can kind of hit that figure realistically. Although saying that, as I'm sure we'll come on to, Leon looked like buying Depay. So it's I can kind of see why Pai wants to. I can see why Depay wants to go as well. Um, I'll be surprised if both deals come off. I think it will be a case if they pick one or the other because I feel like this is a little bit of the Marcy ownership posturing a bit and sort of. Flashing, uh, you know, flashing the money just a little bit to try and suggest that things are, are okay and everyone should be happy. Dave, you're because back. Because in now. fairness, Drogba did want to go as well. Actually, you make a valid point that the Drogba had uh, made overtures to to go, and the Marseille fans unveiled a banner that essentially said "Go forth and multiply." And that they did. Um, Dave, you're back now. Oh yeah, I'm back. So apologies, guys. Basically, I got into my house, got off the bus. It was a great journey, very interesting. In the house, something. and then my phone died. So I was about to answer the question, my phone just died, and that was it. Game over. What a story. Back on the laptop now, though. So any questions, I can do it. Okay. Uh, well, I'm going to ask you then, Dave, about a man uh, departing. Man, to to pay. Yeah, departing. Hating Manchester United. Um, maybe because you de- hate him, um, and you never want to de- play him again. Um, I mean, you know, why is he leaving? <laughs> so many word plays in one minute. Um, why is he leaving? Why is he I, uh, leave on? I think, it's, I think it's the right thing to do for for him and Manchester United. I think it's a good option to go to to Lyon. Is a I, I love Fakir. I love Lacazette. I think with Depay, that's a really mean front three. That's a front, well, front three that you could play in a diamond. You could play as a four-three-three. You could play as a uh, you know a four-two-three-one. There's a lot of variation there, and Depay is perfect for the French league right now in his career. He's a guy that looks like he's got such potential. He's a guy that uh, can beat a man time and time again, and we've seen in the 44 minutes I think he's played this season for Manchester United, he's actually a decent player. But unfortunately, with Anthony Martial in there, with a player that can do better defensive work than 
and uh, then Memphis Depay, you kind of a loss a lost leader there. And going to Leon makes sense. It really does make sense. There's a lot of great stuff that he could do in the French League, and he will tear it up with Lacazette, who's been one of the best forwards in recent years. You know, there's a lot of talk about him. Oh, he scores too many penalties. Shut up. Keep that to yourself. You know, he takes his chances, scores his goals. If he scores a few penos, whatever, he's scoring the penalties. He's still putting the ball in the back of net. Lacazette's been the top forward the last three seasons. If the pie can learn from Lacazette, fantastic. If he can learn from Brecchia, fantastic. That is such a hungry young team. I love it. Uh, but, I mean, Dave, that is a sale. It's not a loan, it's a sale. But you, sometimes you've got to make those decisions, Lawrence, in your life. You've got to, you've got to cut people away. And unfortunately, that's what's happened to Memphis Dubai. You've got to cut them away. You've got to let them live in their own world where they can try and develop their own world. Because quite frankly, at Manchester United, Memphis Dubai didn't, lead to, you know, didn't live up to his hype. He's not scoring the free kicks. He's not taking players on the same way he used to do. He's not causing that problem on the counter-attack. And unfortunately, it looks like he can't defend. He didn't work in a Lou Van Gaal system and he's not worked in a Jose Mourinho system. And unfortunately, that's modern football. As a forward, you need to learn how to defend. And I hope that's something that he picks up at Marseille is learning how to defend. Sometimes, and maybe you might get that. But very, but, uh, sometimes, Dave, you sound like you're composing um, the latest Sting song. Sometimes you sound like it's a collaboration with Richard Keyes. I, I can't work it out. If you love someone, well, set them free on the left wing. Hope, hopefully, it's, it's a combination. And these young players will listen to the rantings and the ravings of myself and, and it will make them better players yes as I believe Bielsa so eloquently put it once um, from the album Dark Arts <laughs> yeah. Dave's an Englishman you what, I'd, I'd be, I would be telling him to dive all the time and unfortunately what I believe in would you I think so I think I think diving's part of the game I think diving is part of the modern game it's, it's it is tricking the referee but it, in the same way being cheating, as we put it, for people that dive, but it's the same way as being gamemanship in any other. I mean, if you pull someone's shirt, are you cheating? Yes. You cheating, like somebody else. Political correctness, like cheating, uh, oh, oh, as they call it. <laughs> for example, no, I, I, you know, I agree. It's, it's, it's the PC brigade. It, it's somebody, you know, it's, it's the PC brigade in football, and I think that England, as a society, needs to accept diving as well as they accept touching people's balls, putting your finger in your bum. Pushing someone over in the box. Are you, you know, doing this on a football picture a weekend? Now this is this is this is football. It's Chris. This is your Sunday league shit where things go down and people go, oh, somebody's dived. Yeah, X, Y, and Z at the weekend. You're going to punch someone in the back of the head, and the referee's not going to see it, and you're going to get away with it. Same shit. <laughs> Dave, how many times? How many times have you put your fingers up someone's butt? Mate, part of football. Part of football, Lawrence. I used to play rugby. I'm not part of that game. Yeah, nothing. Never no. playing five aside with him, whether I'm on his team or not. Watch yourself, Chris. Don't want to sit next to me, mate. Are oh, you not working hard enough? Slip. Yeah, might end up with a finger up the bum. Um, you know, say one up the bum, no arm done. Is, is Dave? I'm sure. <laughs> sure says. I don't know. Check, mate. Okay. Something. Oh, it's what happens like, when you hang out. Anyway, Lawrence, we're talking about cheating. And I just brought some facts up, so uh, we'll continue now. Diving is great. <laughs> Chris, do you have any reply? I, I don't think diving is great. I think it's a bad thing. Yeah. I don't think it has a place. I, th- I think certainly you're under no obligation to, to always try and stay on your feet. I, th- I can certainly think instances where I've seen a player do everything in his power to, to stay upright. What about sh- pulling your shirt then, Chris? No, stop it. If if you genuinely feel it, then go for it. But if, if you're embellishing it needlessly, I don't think there's a point in that. It's cheating and there's cheating as a fine line. I'm an advocate of diving. Bring back the diving. Yeah, but Dave, the point is it's not diving. If someone's pulling your shirt, you've been fouled. Diving is, that is going down the, without the, touch. The flip side of that, right? So, Lawrence, right? We're in the box, right? And you give me a little shirt tug. That's a foul. Dave. Let's say in this situation. Or we're in a box, right? And you, you touch me where I don't want you to touch me. Is that a foul or not? Um, I mean, it, it, football is a... a... Pending court case in some counties. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, Dave, I, I just... Dave, where have I... I mean, 
Yes. Sorry, I just trying to. I, I just the. I think the rap diving's getting. There's a lot more. There's, there's crimes that are put on the side that are pushed away that are as equal. Like what? I want to say to Lawrence. But I don't think any gamesmanship. I think diving is gamesmanship, and that's that's a fact. I love the idea of Dave playing football and someone sticking the finger up his arse and his dad or his granddad going, ah, classic gamesmanship. <laughs> well, firstly, Chris, I'd turn around the lamp the cunt and I'd get sent off red card straight away. But Jesus. it in the game. Now I've got to mark this one explicit because you just said that word. I mean... I didn't realise you listened to so many True Geordie podcasts, but all right, mate. Lawrence, you're part of the True Geordie podcast. You are one of the True Geordie. We okay. Um, right, let's move on. Uh, today, Vine finishes, um, and a lot of people are sharing their greatest vines of all time. Do you guys have a favourite football vine? Um, there are. I mean, there are some good ones. There's the old classic of Rafa um, making the, the his name tag come along the bottom of the screen. That was a good vine back in the day. That's a good shout. There's there's none that jump out, unfortunately. I mean, it was a great place, essentially. I mean, for for a while, it was where footballs made their name, wasn't it, Chris? Yeah, it was. It definitely was. I think, from a technological standpoint, Instagram has has probably killed that because I don't think there's a limit on Instagram videos, is there? Was a, I think it's one minute. Um, but obviously, you know, you can you can fit a whole highlights package in one minute, or it's one minute something, you know. Uh, Dave, you? I mean, could you do could you do um, very quick tactics analysis in five seconds? Six seconds, right, Lauren? Sure, whatever, mate. Um, I mean, it, it was five seconds. It was actually off. five, but it was. Reckon you're like, okay, so let, let, let's do one right now. So if you're like three, five, two, that's already three seconds gone. So yeah, all but... you say next is four, three, three, and is that the vine? <laughs> I don't know, Dave. Is it? <laughs> Maybe Lawrence, if that's what you try to show each other, you know, the, the tactical breakdown of a, you know, of that, of those two systems combined, and that's the game. <laughs> Have you been smoking something, Dave? <laughs> no, I'm just trying, as Vine is a, is a platform that I quite enjoyed and quite, you know, got involved with. It, it's interesting they are shutting it down, they are trying to move to more of a, you know, a Snapchat centric world. Like Instagram, we're seeing, it's quite an interesting. Um, you know, if we're looking at tech, if we're looking at technology in terms of, uh, you know, current market, social media, moving from Vine to, to Instagram to <laughs> Facebook. I didn't it's, ask it's you about this. Topic. I literally didn't ask. <laughs> Lawrence, I'm giving you the overview of the world tonight, mate. <laughs> Dave, how much have we had to drink? Nothing, I'm fine. Okay. I feel like I felt like I was getting a pitch in a in like some meeting. <laughs> it's like, oh, the vine's gone, but what now? And Dave's like, well, it's the uh, it's the well, next sort of next world. I think it's something we never touched on. I quite, you know, I'm, I'm big in my tech. That's where my my jobs <laughs> come from. <laughs> so fucking laugh at me. This is like where I've come from in my life. And if you ask any tech related questions, Lawrence, I'm going to give you the answer. Ever stuck, ever stuck your finger in a floppy drive? <laughs> Many yeah, times. Okay. Um, I mean, uh, Dave, do you have a favourite? I mean, what's your favourite tech platform then, Dave? Um, well, YouTube, obviously. Simple, right? Is it? It's a, a great place where you can upload your video. One of the big things I find quite interesting about <laughs> YouTube is that the lyrics to cheers. <laughs> Stop it. Let me continue. So, in terms of like, um, obviously, I worked in, in football media and football sort of, you know, news before. One of the interesting things is YouTube creates a platform where you've got to pay no cost to upload your video and contain your video. Whereas if you look around the market, you're paying X amount of money to upload it, transcode it and so forth. And YouTube is a free marketplace. And that's why I love YouTube, Lawrence. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, you could argue you pay with other things, but yeah, fair enough. You don't pay directly. I get your point. Um, it's supposed to be, uh, it's supposed to be, that it's it, supposed to thicken the amount of people that can uh, upload, and it has. Uh, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is up for debate. Uh, people have a voice, fantastic. Um, any other uh, transfer news that people want to touch on while we're on the podcast? Before I get into the Q's and the A's, ah, oh, the <clears throat> Griezmann to United's you know, grown again this this week. You know, 100, I think it's 100 million pounds maybe for Griezmann to move to Manchester United again would be a great fit for United. 
But again, you're going to have to work on where Paul Pogba is going to play in the midfield versus where Griezmann is going to play. I think that's an issue that Franz Adam did at the Champs didn't really address till the latter stages and you know, eventually made the wrong choice and played them in a 4-2-3-1 and it didn't quite work out. Obviously, the final Paul Pogba not dictating, getting found out against their midfield diamond, which was a replica to what Liverpool played this weekend. So, fascinating stuff there. But no, Griezmann to United would be fantastic. But there'd be a problem for Mourinho. Why? I think it's what system you're going to play. Are you going to play a 4-3-3 or are you going to play a 4-2-3-1? We've seen Paul Pogba can't really grasp the 4-2-3-1 um, in terms of playing as one of those central midfielders because he wants to get into the box, because he wants to be in that final third. And I kind of agree that that's kind of where you want Paul Pogba. He's a flair player. He's a player that you get the ball. You know, we saw the assist he got, what was it, against Swansea, where, you know, kind of, re- you know, received the ball, great turn, played the through ball to Zlatan. A fantastic goal. That's where you want Paul Pogba right now, not in defensive midfield. I feel like, you know, in the latter stages of his career, yes, defensive midfield, he's going to be absolutely fantastic in terms of how we can switch to play. His passing range is there. His ability to beat a man, you know, if someone's pressurising him, see you later in deep, deep in midfield if it's a striker. So I think that's that balance between... Getting Griezmann in the side, but also getting the best out of Paul Pogba, which is a system that we may never have seen in football. So maybe it's something Marina's got to work on. Uh, how hard does he have to work on it, Dave? Exceedingly hard. Maybe he even goes for the Allegri 4-3-2-1, maybe. No, two attacking midfielders. When we were talking about Pjanic and Dybala on um, the Football Republic before, maybe that could be a place where you have Griezmann Pogba behind a striker, behind Zlatan. But then again, you're throwing out Martial um, Mkhitaryan, you know, there's a lot of players there. It's a, Man United is a big problem because there's too many players in a small base and you've got to play within a system and signing someone like Griezmann just makes that problem even worse. Uh, good. Chris, uh, Griezmann, I mean, do you really want to see him go to United or would you rather see him go somewhere else, Chris? It, <clears throat> it still amazes me how much the clubs at the top can spend these days. <laughs> All right, granddad. Um, no, in, in, in respects to like <laughs> the Premier League teams... <laughs> That, uh, their record transfer fee is still not even a quarter of that. It's like teams in the same league I'm talking about. I'm not saying, oh, isn't it a disgrace that Plymouth can't spend $100 million? I'm talking about the disparity just in the league that they all play in. I just... Uh, there are moments where I just wish that Manchester United would have a little bit more of a thrifty approach. It seems like they just go out and... and I remember Rafa Honigstein making this point once about the Premier League in general. That clubs just solve their problems with money. It'd be nice if they kind of went out and just tried to coach through them. I mean, Dave, uh, arguably, they are trying to coach through them, right? I think it's a, it's a difficult balance. It's a different, but difficult balance between success and, and making the top four, making the top six, making the top ten with players you have and the components that you have in that system. And yes, it's a, it takes a bit of time if you want to coach some, you know, player to to play a different style or to to move on to a a different position. It's going to take a little bit longer than getting that ready-made piece. And unfortunately, I kind of agree with Chris in terms of the, the the majority of the Premier League. They do try and solve things with money. But again, I think the coaching is there. And it's viable from, from Manchester United. It's a, it's a very good point in terms of how the coaching has worked this season. Like, you look at United over the last three years with Moyes, with LVG, that did their own right thing at the right time. But then you come with someone with Louis van Gaal. Sorry, you come with someone with Jose, Jose Mourinho. And it's really showing that that edge, that small edge, that small edge of coaching. You know, a great stat. United have run the fewest kilometres per game in the Premier League. That's incredible. They are doing as well as they are. But They're lazy fucks. Well, they fuck lazy fucks. It's a different style. It's a counter-attacking style. It's a positional style which Jose Mourinho brings. Yeah, Jurgen Klopp's trendy. Yeah, Jurgen Klopp plays all these long balls, whatever, and all this, this crap inside. And, you know, if we're going to go and dress that point in its own right, the long ball that everyone's been raving about is a long pass. So already we'll it, all these, so 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 this big big argument, Lawrence. You've heard about this debate that Man United have played fewer long balls than Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool. It's not a long ball; it's a long pass. That means it's a pass over thirty-five yards, which means the stat is irrelevant to compare a long ball side to another side. Because, for example, you play a switch from centre half or defensive midfield out wide. That is considered a long ball. So you're looking at Swansea maybe two seasons ago. Long, but most long balls in the Premier League by country mile because it's a long pass, not a long ball, and that's unfortunately something Opta slightly let themselves down in terms of the definition. Oh, it's, I don't think it's Opta's fault. Actually. I think it's the the community's fault of not understanding what Opta is saying, and we're, we're drawn in this fact that we're trying to make X point over Y point. What's wrong with long ball football? Mourinho into Milan. That was a brilliant side. Diego Melito, 
Shrine, in, um, Schneider, Etu, Pandev, what a team that was. But they played a very much a direct long ball style. Nothing wrong with it. And again, it's embracing what's popular and what's hip and what's not. And that's unfortunately where United are right now. We're not cool. I don't give a shit. True, you are not cool. Play a different style. Yeah, play a different style, whatever. I don't get it. You know, play long ball football, whatever. That's cool. Bring on Maron Fellaini and Zlatan Mirich and putting them up against Lovren and Clavan. That is a way to win football games. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm not averse to that. It's fine. Okay. Got to win the game. Yeah. That's great. It's enjoyable, but long as in the long ball. So one thing that you've got to pick up from this podcast, a long ball that's been defined by Octa is a long pass over 35 yards. And that's what we've got to finish on. Sometimes not a long ball. Yeah, um, I mean, Chris, to, to address that, uh, the trendiness of any uh, team. I mean, Chris, over the past two games, uh, a team that went on a 40-run streak is now on a two-game losing streak. Real Madrid lose 2-0. Or was it 2-1? Two, sorry, 2-1 tonight. Lol. There you go. How can I top that? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean uh, Chris, what I, the point I was going to make was both of those systems which beat Real Madrid... Both Bielsa mm-hmm. systems, or Bielsa disciples in that sense. That's a, a very astute point. I, th- I think the thing is, I always find this with Real Madrid is that it's so easy to make something a scandal over there because, yes, they've lost two games in a row, and that, and that is a, a slight cause for concern. The record they had before it, though, you have to think there was going to be a bump along the, the way at some point with this Real Madrid team, just because of the way it's set up and the way it's played. And they've been able to bail themselves out a few times. Bail. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti's team, right? Say again? Carlo Ancelotti's team. In what respect? I feel like with, with Zidane, it's been an interesting situation. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, stop it. <laughs> trying to make a point here, and you are nothing but laughing at me at my point. Before it's even there. a finger at my ass. <laughs> well, Chris, sometimes you've got a podcast with a finger in your ass because it makes you a, a better podcaster. But in terms of um, Zidane, I don't feel like he's... He's basically taken Benitez's defensive model, and he's not done a lot. And I feel he's taken something from Benitez, apart from Ancelotti. And yes, they went on a 40-game on Beaton Street, but I feel there could have been other coaches that would have done the same way that would have been even more successful than him. You know, you come against someone like Sampaoli, gets caned, and they draw 3-3. Very, very lucky for Real Madrid. And they get beat, obviously, a, a, a flip situation where Jovetic scores on the, the 90th minute. But Sevilla outplayed them both of those games. And it was a managerial thing, a tactical thing that was the winning. You know, Zidane set up with a 3-5-2 try, uh, match um, Sevilla's... 3-5-2, which is very interchangeable, which switches between a 3-5-2, a 3-4-3, and, and a 3 or a 3-4-1-2 in a way. It's so interchangeable. Zidane's like, okay, we'll play for a 3-5-2 and we'll beat these lads. Yeah, Sampoli goes, okay, we're going to play a 4-4-1-1. We're going to do about it. Zidane doesn't change and deservedly loses the game. Again, that's my problem with Zidane. He's, Madrid is such an interesting club because you've got to deal with all these megastars. And yes, Zidane might be the right man manager. Tactically, absolutely not. Load of shit. Not good enough. And wow. unfortunately, that will be Zidane's legacy at Real Madrid. Can deal with the superstars, but when there's actually a tactical problem out there to, to combat or to deal with, like Sampoli, like potentially Luis Enrique might do, or potentially Diego Simeone will do in the Champions League, or Ancelotti, or, you know, let's throw anyone out there. 
there's going to be a problem. I mean, Dave, does that not sound problem. a little bit ridiculous considering that he's just won 40 games and he must have had to make some tactical uh, adjustments in that time? I think it does. I think they've, they've gone on a, an easier streak than, you know... Oh, come on. Yes and no. Yes and no. I think the the players in there have, have carried that team a lot more than Zidane has made it his team, if you get what I mean. Like, it's... It's more of like a um, a Di Matteo thing, you know. When when Chelsea won the Champions League, Di Matteo was manager. Was it Di Matteo's side? Potentially not. Was it a Mourinho side? Potentially yes. Was it players that were Mourinho's players? Yes, it was. That's what I still feel. It's still Ancelotti's players within this Zidane team, and Zidane is kind of getting off lightly. When he tries stuff that's new, when he tries stuff that's different, gets it wrong. I mean, arguably, it's Florentino Perez um, players, but yeah, fair enough. Um, <laughs> I mean, hey, Casemiro, etc., etc. Um, but before yeah, what a player they fucking didn't even look at for the first XMR games, mad. I mean, uh, I, I don't think there's anyone in the uh, in La Liga or possibly even in the Premier League, Chris, though, who could accept against us pasty uh, as uh, eloquently as um, Jurgen Klopp did. Uh, he was cre- he was um, presented shall we say, with a giant Ginster's pasty post-FA Cup. <laughs> to which he replied with the words, um, what's that? <laughs> Have you seen the pictures? I haven't. I thought it was spreading for a second there. Um, I haven't seen the pictures. Uh, is, is Ginster's a, a Plymouth thing, is it? Uh, I mean, I guess so. Uh, they, I think they sponsor the club uh in some way um, uh, okay but, but yeah i mean the, uh, he was presented with a ginster's pasty um so good for him kind They're very friendly of them although the plymouth folk are quite friendly i believe I'm, i knew one of them once he was a very nice guy great uh should we get into the questions Yes, let's. Yes. Uh, now, I have great questions for you both tonight. A long list of them as well. Uh, so let's get straight into it. Uh, who was the first person to send in any question tonight? Uh, that would have been... Wow, we actually... We've had a lot. Um, wow. Uh, this is like when the podcast first started. We've got that many questions. Uh, uh, this one's a good one from Flano uh, Flano 11 uh, do Di Maria and Unai Emery not get along Dave it's a very interesting one Di Maria has not been at that same standard he was at Real Madrid again something that me and you spoke with about today about his transfer to Manchester United a lot of money spent what 59 million point seven pounds a bit too much money for a player that didn't adapt to to life in Manchester got 10 assists in his season and a bit um, and I think it's the same thing that's happening at PSG, that his attitude is a bit stinky. You look at Lucas, a player that's really excelled under Unai Emery, a player that works hard, that tactically looks like he is listening to his manager. Di Maria is a little bit different, but he, he has that X factor. Everyone knows that Di Maria is a fantastic footballer, but getting him into your philosophy and getting him into your style. And unfortunately, I don't think he's, it's there for him I, uh, in Paris. I think that potentially it's time to move on. I don't think that the the manager and the, the, the club they bought him for a lot of money. It just doesn't fit for me. Someone like Verratti should be the pinnacle of this PSG team for under Unai Emery. And unfortunately, Di Maria isn't there. You know, you're playing Lucas on one side and then you've got, potentially, you've got uh, Julian Draxler, who's just signed, who scored a fantastic goal at the weekend. Where does Di Maria fit? For me, on the bench. If it's FIFA, he fits very well. But apart from that, let's see. Um, Chris uh, Barney asked the question. Barney Jacrispy uh, asked the question... Um, what an unfortunate name yeah uh, he asked the question um, it's more of a statement uh, but it, I'll phrase it as a question uh, Danny Rose and Kyle Walker name a more iconic duo I'll wait oh, I saw this question he wants the best fullbacks or something or the best be after Rose and Walker yeah someone, um, else, uh, someone else says uh, Grimaldo and yeah, Nelson uh, Samedo at Benfica I was going to say that's a that's a good um, that's a good shout. Actually, they're two very promising young fullbacks. Grimaldo, amazingly, only costs I believe a million euros when they signed him from Barcelona. Um, there's a little bit of a frustration from Barca fans that he, he went for that 
sort of little or some. Um, Semedo is just another one from the, the Benfica Academy. Um, very quick, very aggressive. Um, shades of Mycon in that sense, like a really young Mycon. Um, I, I struggle to think of, of better duos than those two, honestly. I mean, yeah, the, in terms of, you can think of a good fullback, but, but maybe not sort of proficiency at both, uh, or ability, excuse me, at, at both sides. Proficiency and ability in that sense. Um, and adaptability and also how well they play um, the team's tactic in that sense, because there are a lot of fullbacks that get forward and back very well. Um, but how how many sort of execute, you imagine, exactly what their managers want? Tricky. Uh, Dave, speaking of which, uh, not executing what your managers want, now there is a choice uh, at Manchester United, says MUFC Fresco. Fres- Fresno, sorry. Uh, the number seven shirt is vacant. Who would you fill it with? I think I put it in the bin for the moment. I don't think there's a player there right there that you want to throw it at. I wouldn't retire it. No, I just hold it for a bit because there seems like there's crying to it. Everyone that gets it loses their uses their shit in a way. Ronaldo. You, know, you think about Tony Valencia, Memphis Depay, uh, Michael Owen, and so forth. And I think that this United Ronaldo sort of legacy in a way where you have got Georgie Best, got David Beckham, got all the great players there, Eric Cantona, and Ronaldo. Um, and Ronaldo, obviously, but it seems that it, it's a bit too much right now. Um, and holding it back and being like, okay, you you become you become the Ronaldo or you become the Cantona when you're ready. Do you know see what I mean? It's it's at the moment it feels a bit too much pressure. I feel like keeping that back, holding that back for the right guy, maybe Antoine Griezmann. Give him that seven shirt, he'll score all the goals. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, okay, uh, Chris, uh, who would you give um, give the number seven shirt? I hold it off for Griezmann. Excellent answer. Assu- assuming assuming that's who they're going to buy, because like I say, Miguel Delaney, whose story it is, is is very well informed on Man United. So I would imagine if he's uh, saying that it's oh, that United are confident in the summer, I would I would imagine it's going to happen. Uh, Dave, uh, Ray Burke uh, asked the question, how close to orgasm does Dave get when thinking of Grizzy behind Ibra like Giroud? That's beautiful. Very, very close. Very, very close. I love it how, you know, Ray Burke, every time you even read his name, I can see his, see his um, like Twitter emblem. Well, it's great, great branding from Ray. But, you know, I think it'd be, it'd be fantastic. I think it's, it's one of those combinations that would just work in terms of a target man or, you know, Whatever role you want Ebro to play, Griezmann's just going to be off him and it'll be fantastic. It'll be, it'll be so good. It'll be back to the days of him playing off Mario Mandzukic, maybe Fernando Torres, you know. There's been so many wonderful players that have played ahead of Anton Griezmann and every single time they've combined so well. But, you know, look at Olivier Giroud, a player that Arsenal fans potentially aren't the biggest fan of, but someone at the Euros that was so good with Griezmann. Because last time is like the next level to that. And that it's, you know, it's exciting. It's very, very exciting as a Manchester United fan to have players have of Antoine Griezmann's quality linked to the club. Interesting. Um, Chris, uh, how do you see the squads of the top six teams evolving over the next year? Uh, do you see any sort of uh, evolution? Because obviously there are quite a few people in there that work their teams very hard. I'm wondering if we're going to see a few managers, at least towards the end of this season, have to take their foot off the gas. Maybe webbed feet. Good. Um, I, I think it's a very valid point, though, that, that because of the the almost insistence from a lot of the top six clubs to play high, aggressive, intense football, how you manage that is very difficult because in an ideal situation, maybe your 25-man squad would have a real consistency in terms of the level of quality. Now, I think physical quality is, is fairly easy to to kind of achieve across that full squad, but it's it's the technical that tends to, to differentiate different parts and different levels. I, I would imagine, realistically, in the same way maybe you did last season, you'll see Spurs and or Liverpool suffer a small dip. Um, the, the benefit from Liverpool's end is I don't believe they have European football. No, they don't, do they? No, good point. Yes, so that, that will play into it. Um, Spurs, I think. Oh, crikey, where did they finish again? 
Do they have Europa League? Well, they have Europa League now, but obviously they crashed out of the Champions League, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so they have so they have Europa League. That again, that could we talked about it briefly with with Klopp there. That could be an instance where Pochettino looks at it and says, "Okay, this is the moment where I need to give Marcus Edwards, Harry Winks, those kind of guys, an opportunity to learn the system." Because that's the other thing as well is that you can spend hours on a coaching field teaching players how you want them to play. I think you you can't really substitute actual in-game experience in terms of the quality that that provides as a learning tool um, and it, and if you can <clears throat> accept which I kind of imagine Daniel Levy would if it, if it helped them in the Premier League that the Europa League is not the competition you want to win this season you can just use it as a glorified training ground and say okay let's put some guys in because I, I one of the things I think clubs get wrong when it comes to these kind of situations is they flood the team with youngsters a bit like what Klopp did tonight I can see why he did it because it's Plymouth with all due respect to them but realistically I think you gain more and you learn more about your young players when you keep a good portion if not the majority of the team as the first 11 and then just substitute maybe two three guys in because then you see how it would perform at its peak level whereas if you just flood it with youngsters <clears throat> really, you're seeing how the how the the youth or the reserve team would do against the first team, which is is not the kind of barometer you're after. Speaking of uh, Pochettino, youth development, those sort of things, uh, Dave, I'm going to ask you a question from Shane. Shane says, why do you think Bielsa has never gotten a top job when so many great managers, e.g. Poch, Pep, have been influenced by him? Now, I guess you can. I, I'll start answering this one. He sort of has... He's had big jobs internationally, and he's certainly been uh, to very reputable clubs, but arguably never a you know a a, um, a, a top tier. I think if we look at this in a, in a political sense and, and how it compares to, for example, communism. Uh, let's let's live, let's put Bielsa as as the creme oh. de la creme of communism, um, and he's right, the guy that's yep. pushing this through and and pushing every single facet of that reality. Um, and unfortunately, in the world with people and with, you know, humans, that doesn't work in a philosophy. But being quite close to that works very, very well. So adopting certain Bielsa characteristics, if we were talking politics, so certain communist principles in your, your world would work. But it's not going to work as a total philosophy. And I think that's the thing with Bielsa. His style, his, his philosophy of football is very intensive. It's very strange in a way where you're playing, you know, a, Three, three, one, three. But it's all about the positioning and stuff. And I feel that people that have evolved on that, your likes of you know your Pochettinos and 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 so forth, have have done very well from having a madman as their the pinnacle, as their sort of Jesus character. And I feel that's what why they why so many managers have come out and and been disciples of Bielsa is because they've taken a style of football. And they've been like, wait a minute, we can't do this for a full season. We can't do this for the rest of our lives because. We might die, and we'll adopt these things. We'll adopt that, and that's the beauty of it. Bielsa is like the the he is communism. He is the guy that is dealing this pressing football, aggressive style that's very vertical and so forth. But taking a step back and being like, okay, what are the things that work in this Bielsa system that will be able to you know elongate your you know instead of having thirty games where you can play like Bielsa, thirty eight games of playing like Bielsa, so you go on to win that Premier League title, and that's why we're seeing so many great money, Sam Pauli. Pochettino, whoever we want to talk about. That is why I think it's such a it's a great ideology, but in practice, Bielsa's tactics don't work. And that was something upsetting that I found when I watched Athletic Bilbao, that wonderful season where they're not united out. Yeah. Unfortunately, get to a point where you're too tired and someone like Falcao will come over, a capitalist pig, and destroy your life. In many ways. Uh, and score a hat trick in the final. Yeah, I mean, sort of works. Um, Chris, uh, this one comes from David Shanahan, uh, 930, and he says, uh, what's the best food you've had on your travels? Ah, uh, good question. Um, <laughs> don't say tofu. <laughs> no. Don't even give you a knife or fork. Um, I would say it's a mix between, uh, my in-laws cooking, which is like Costa Rican food. Mm-hmm. Or there is a place in Queens, I believe, and I apologise if I offend any Spanish speakers, it's called Palo Santo, which is something like parrot in the tree or something like that in Spanish. 
Um, it's a really nice Latin food place. Um, it's just just really. I think in general, I've really grown to love Latin food in the last twelve months. Wonder why. Um, and then, Dave, what about you? Um, there's some good ones out there. I quite, you know, obviously been around Europe and so forth. And if you get to a certain part of Europe, it's the, there's quite a similar cuisine. But I quite like embracing, you know, things like Indian food. Got some really good mates that, you know, from, you know, that's where they, where they're born and that's where they grow up. All their family was growing up there, and there's some really good stuff there. Like I had a dal that was, um, that's worked well on the last podcast actually, <laughs> bringing this back or the one before that was just incredible. And I'm still not over that. And I love, you know, Indian food and I like any food to be quite honest. You know, like like your burgers, like your kebabs, like your Turkish food, anything like that. Just any food. I, I like to embrace all food. You're going you're going away this weekend with um, Stephen House, aren't you, to uh, Leipzig? Lots of sausage. <laughs> yeah, what, what are you going to eat while you're out there? Right. No, no, Stephen's Sing. eating sausage. <laughs> I'm just eating chips, Lawrence. <laughs> okay. That sounded offensive. I think you're going to get an angry phone call from him here. Um, fair enough. He's already he's ringing, Chris. I can see him. He's dialed already. <laughs> uh, Chris, thoughts on the new... Lo- compromise. compromise. Phone down. Thoughts on the new logo, Chris, of Juventus? Um... It's a very good question because it's been quite polarizing. So on the on the one hand, you have people that think it's an abomination, and and it's destroying the history of, of Italy because Italy's got quite iconic badges to me. If that's the one thing I can take away from from the league, it, all this the, is not iconic. Look, um, well, this is the thing. So so on the flip side of that, the people that I know who are kind of in very invested in the digital side of things and um, work with clubs on that platform say that it's a very shrewd move because it now allows them to position themselves as more of a brand than a club it's it, it doesn't confine them to one um sort of viewpoint if you will are you so, saying they are the team formerly known as juventus um a little <laughs> i see what you did there took me a second um I, I think, honestly, as long as the colours stay the same, you shouldn't worry too much. There are some very old-school pictures of apparently them in their black and white shirts with a black and white J on there, um, sewn into their uh, club kit. Yes. But I don't this know if that's Photoshop. Um, yeah. What do you actually think of it, though, Chris, design-wise? I, I think it cost 200000 or something, didn't it, the design company charged them? That's, that's a quite... heck of a lot of money for two lines. It is actually quite cheap, though. Uh, relatively, um, it, it's it's simple. Yes, yes. Uh, Dave, yourself? Yeah, there's a few out there, but I think the Juve have gone a, an interesting way. I kind of there's there's been a lot of stuff that's been like posted on Reddit. Reddit's a great place to to see alternative universes in a way. There's a, they, someone's designed a really good Juventus logo using the same sort of the same J's in a way and like throwing it into a badge, throwing it looking, you know, like a crest and, and adding their titles and so on. It looked quite good. I think it's an interesting way football's going and there needs to be, people need to be more creative in the footballing world in terms of shirts, in terms of badges and so forth. Yeah, I wonder what it, I mean, first of all, I sort of think it would annoy me if I was a fan and midway through the season, obviously. I mean, I, I'm kind of tempted to go and buy Juventus's last shirt with this badge on now. Do you know what I mean? Mm, that is a very good point. It is, I, I quite like the old Juventus badge. I quite like badge. Sorry, I quite like what it what it was and what it what it does. And it's it is a bit weird mid season. It's kind of one of those things that you surely, as a company or as an organisation, you should release at the end of the year. It's a bit of a you know weird. I mean? like the end of the season. Weird. Maybe they want to kind of have like um, maybe this was sort of the point is they want to have like a goodbye tour for it. And if you do that at the end of the season, you don't really get a chance to say goodbye. Jesus, what was this? Like a... A person? A player? A manager? No, no, it's a badge. No, Dave, it's a concept, and concepts are bigger than people. Um, (laughs) Although at the same time, obviously, uh, you know, it is just a concept. Um, Some people say it is to sell more shirts. Some people say, uh, like you say, Chris, uh, a redesign. It's a bit of a weird one. And also, why why would you launch it in Milan? Anyone? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a bit of a laugh to be like, "Hey, 
Hey, hey, AC. Hey, Inter. How, how are you guys doing this season in Syria? Because we're top of the fucking league. I suppose a good point is is maybe Juventus is sort of doing it as a land grab in that sense. But I mean, it would if you did the same in England and Liverpool launched their new badge in, say, Birmingham. Manchester. Yeah, like Manchester. I mean, yeah, maybe Manchester there is a good example. Yeah, the riots. A win, Absolute riots. Stephen Alson would have a petrol bomb in his mouth holding a torch. <sighs> Definitely taking something. Uh, I think it's best we leave it there. Um, we're we're going to answer more of your questions uh, on on the weekend. Uh, there, there have been a lot of good ones though. Uh, Dave, January BPL Player of the Month so far. Quite a tough one. Obviously, Diego Costa would have been the guy um, if he hadn't bottled his life. Maybe go Eden Hazard at Chelsea, or maybe Marcus Marcus Alonso has been fantastic the whole season. Um, but finally getting into the goals should have probably scored a hat-trick against Leicester City to be quite fair to him uh, pulled a shot just wide with his uh, already taking two goals so maybe yeah or Christian Eriksen <sighs> he's been so good two two assists versus um, Chelsea and then against West Brom just tore them apart so I don't know but Deli Alley, you know the, you've already asked this question it's so big already you know Deli Alley, Eriksen Alonso Hazard those four players I'm just I'm going to finish on this um because I, I like it. Um give me a second. Uh I'm finding the article. Um here we go. Uh here we go. Uh FIFA technical director Marco Van Basten offers up ideas to revolutionise football. Anyone else seen this? No, you tell me what he's gonna do. Chris, have you heard this? I definitely haven't. This is news to me. Right, okay. Uh, fair enough. Uh, Let's read it. Yeah, uh, here we go. Uh, he says, no offsides, sin bins, quarters, and dribbling in penalty shootouts. Discuss. What has, what has Marco been taking these days? Bit of LSD here. A few beers there. Off a bottle of whiskey, you know what? What the hell? You know we're going to revolutionise the game. Yeah, we're just going to eliminate offsides. Well, so Lawrence as a as a centre forward, you are to be fair to Lawrence. Lawrence would would get in the game here. Lawrence would probably be one of the best strikers in the Premier League. Lawrence is very good at goal hanging, but he can put these chances away, which means he could just stand on the outside of the box or whatever. It's mental. These are the people that are supposed to be visionaries, and you know, a FIFA technical boss, and this is what he's coming out with to revolutionise revolutionise our game. Interesting. Mental. Uh, mental. But anyway, that's my thoughts. Uh, yeah, Chris, you? I mean, why, why would someone offer these things forward? Boredom. He's not banging the goals in anymore. He's like, I'm so bored, right? Let's scrap off that. <laughs> the, th- the thing is, people are, are constantly trying to improve um, the game, its setup, its format. You look at the World Cup, people are are now looking to push it to 48 teams. The Euros is a similar thing. I, I think sport is is something that rarely stands still. And, you know, I think if you look at it in the context of the entire history of the game, it might sound a bizarre idea, but I would imagine that removing the pass-back rule or those kind of things all looked fairly bizarre in the moment that they were pitched but we now look at them as staples of the game and, and natural evolutions. Tactically, without the offside rule, things are going to change. <laughs> but, like Chris is saying, it could be quite interesting. Interesting. Okay, well, we'll discuss that more uh, later in the week. It's been very good to have you guys uh, on the podcast tonight. Uh, Dave, thank you very much. When people want to go find your work, uh, go ahead. Where can they find you? There's a YouTube channel, Lawrence. Though, well, there's two YouTube channels, but there's one that you should click on more than the other. That is the front three, because there's something on Chelsea, and who would replace Diego Costa in that side? I think you should probably click on that one, Lawrence. Where do I find that? Uh, I mean, go over to YouTube, right, Dave? What is the channel, Lawrence? Oh, sorry, the front three. Come on, man. You're better than that. Uh, Chris, what about you? Similar front three YouTube, uh, the front three Twitter, 
But then if you want a more personal site, it's me, K-H-E-N-E-A-G-E. Very good point. Um, okay. Uh, it's been good to have you guys. Uh, join us this Saturday when we're doing a special podcast uh, on China. Uh, Adam and I recorded that one just today. Uh, don't forget to go follow us on Twitter. Find us on YouTube. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary. Not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And we'll see you again real soon right here on The Front 3.